Hello, and welcome back to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today is part two of Butch Romero, who is the first trans person to hold the title of Mr. Chicago Leather. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one yet, I would suggest going back and taking a listen to that episode first before diving into this one. In part one, Butch really talks about his coming out and coming into the leather scene, so it will provide some more context for you when listening to this current episode. In part two, we discuss topics more focused on fetish and leather. I'm so excited for all of you to hear more. So without further ado, let's get ready for some more leather talk. Speaking of sex, I do want to dive into a little bit about uh, leather because you are the current uh, Mr. Chicago Leather title holder. Uh, So when did you discover leather? Do you remember the first time you experienced leather, like in a a leather bar or a leather space or or a kink space? Oh, God. So I've actually have told this story a few times. So my very first pride parade that I attended was the Chicago Pride Parade. And I was, I can't remember if it was the summer before my junior year or senior year of high school. So either way, I was 16, 17. And I, myself, basically our GSA was invited to walk with a college LGBT group. Mm-hmm. So, so, so on top of it being like my first like pride parade or whatever, you know, it was also like, oh, not, not only is it just like my first parade, but I'm not a spectator. I'm like in it. So we go to our meetup spot where we're, you know, we're supposed to be lining up, you know, for our parade. And obviously, you know, I I don't know if you've ever marched in a parade, but basically you're literally waiting around for several hours to even start and actually to get walking. And so the college group was actually, I want to say basically a few groups behind the leather and kink contingent. So they basically were like standing across the street from us. So me and so I actually went with a friend of mine and they were they were actually a straight friend of mine at the time, a high school friend. And so we had no business. I, I mean, obviously, we're like we're only teenagers, had no business hanging out with the leather and kink contingent. But that's basically what I did for like four hours before this parade. <laughs> It even starts, and and this was the leather and kink contingent of Chicago that I myself am am now walking in, and you know, and so now this was my first Pride Parade, and I'm marching, and now I'm hanging out with this incredibly cool group of people, and they're all in leather and chaps. You know, there there's you know people are wearing all different kinds of uniforms, rubber, just 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 all out amazing and it's just so cool hanging out with them and i remember by the end of it thinking like that's gonna be me one day and i don't even know why i thought that but i i just immediately right off the bat felt so incredibly comfortable in that space and 
what's interesting is that we walked the entire parade and after it was all over and after, you know, my mom was actually, my mom actually dropped us off. And so now my mom, while we're waiting for my mom to pick us up from the parade, um, where, where we had, you know, our drop-off point, I remember my straight friend actually going, God, can you believe those freaks that we hung out with? <laughs> oh my and I was God. like, I was like, what? And she's, she goes, yeah, man, those people were fucking weird. I can't even believe that they just like let them be in the parade like that. And I said, what, what are you talking about? I mean, because at least under my impression, like I was like, but they're all gay and lesbian people. Like they're You're like, they were cool they as fuck. There. I'm like, I'm like, they belong in the parade too. And yeah. she goes, she goes, dude, that's the reason why nobody likes gays. Those are the <gasps> freaks. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, trust me, like, like, so here I am personally, like having this, like, kind of like awakening within myself where I'm like, man, like, that's going to be me one day. And then here's now my friend who's actually like literally one of my best friends at the time. Like, you know, we, I'd actually have known her for a few years at this point. And she's like, no, man, like those are the freaks of your community that nobody takes seriously and nobody likes. And I'm, and she's like telling this to me as if like, like she knows something that I don't. Right, exactly. And I'm, and I, and I, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> like I, I like my mind was straight up blown that she was saying that, and. I not now just to be clear, like shortly after that, she really was no longer a friend because I, right. I, I mean, I was just personally like, I, I was so incredibly offended. I didn't, and I didn't even know any of those people, you know, I don't remember their names. I don't, I, for all I know, I'm probably friends with them now. And I have absolutely no idea if I walked with them, you know, fucking 15 years ago or whatever. But I, 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 I was so just like, oh my God, like I cannot believe she fucking said that and i was pissed like i was so upset that she that, that that she said that and and i think it was also just because by that point i had had so many different experiences myself you know you know i mean yeah maybe i didn't have a heart issue coming out but like you know when we were in school i mean i already had to deal with our administration being a complete pain in the ass to us in our group i had actually been gay bashed already by that point like i had like i mean i i had gone through some very intense things and here i was like having just like this super incredible like internal awakening inside of me like oh, oh man like i'm like all the dumb bullshit i'm going through right now is so that i can be like that one day and now here is basically one of my best friends telling me like oh if you turn out like that you're a fucking freak yeah, and so you say that because it's just like um I don't think I ever saw that when I saw people in leather, but people have said before, they're like, oh yeah, some, some people think we're the freaks. And uh, like you just saying that right now, I kind of put myself in, into that experience as you were explaining it. And when that came up, I was like, uh, triggered. We should put a trigger warning <laughs> at the beginning of that. <laughs> you should probably put a trigger warning anyway, because there's probably already going to be some people that are like, oh God, it's butch. Like, I don't want to listen to that bitch. <laughs> Well, that's the, so. Then, when did you, um, you know, that you were a teenager then? So, when did you come? Yeah, so I was a teenager. So, my very first, uh, like I said, so my first IML was 2010. And, and growing up in Chicago, like, 
IML is is just kind of generally known. Like people that like have absolutely no connection to the leather community whatsoever, like the general public knows what IML is. Like you know, every Memorial Day weekend, like people just know that there's like this like mass gay gathering in the center of the city. Like it's not <laughs> it's not anything weird or crazy. And so um so because at the time I had another best friend, my a gay friend of mine. He is a year younger than me, and he we have the same birthday. My birthday is July 3rd. We had the same birthday, but he was a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. And so when I turned 21, because you have to be 21 to attend, you know, the contest and the market and stuff. When I turned 21, he said, no, I don't want you to do it yet. Can you please wait for me? And so I said, fine. So I waited a whole year to my 22nd birthday basically to for him to turn 21 so that we could go and experience IML together and so that's what we did and like I said that was the year so yeah that had been like 2010 so that's you know Tyler McCormick won and and to be perfectly honest when you go for a grand majority of people especially locals when we say going to IML we mean going to the market you know we mean going to hang out like in the hotel you know it wasn't you know so i didn't actually attend like any of like the contest or anything like that to be perfectly honest i i wasn't even really at the time really caring or aware as to how you even could attend the contest like i wasn't sure you know how you even got to like see the contestants or whatever i was just vaguely aware that yeah there's a there's a contest that goes on but to be perfectly honest i didn't care so we you know we just wanted to go to the market and see you know all the hot people and you know hang out and maybe try to hook up with somebody or whatever and that's you know that's what we wanted to do and then we'll also go to the bars together um and that weekend was was also my first time attending a leather bar because I before that, because uh, of course he decided to get a fake ID after IML. He couldn't get it like the weekend or beforehand or whatever, knowing that I was turning 21. No, after I turned 21, and because I'm 21, he didn't want to be left out, so he gets a fake ID. So we start going to gay bars and stuff together. And so I was already attending Boys Town, like any, you know, young gay in Chicago, you know, everybody has to go through their stint in Boys Town of just like getting, you know, hammered and everything and being complete mess in Boys Town. You know, I was, I was that mess at one point. (laughs) And so we were going to, you know, Hydrate and Berlin and Sidetrack and, you know, doing all, doing all the, you know, regular Boys Town stuff. However, I remember for whatever reason, he was too scared to even like go into cell block or even just like really like heavy, like the manhole and stuff. Like he, he didn't want to go there. And I personally didn't see any reason to go there. Cause again, like at the time I'm, I'm a lesbian. So I'm like, well, I mean, if you don't want to go, we're not going to go. But that weekend we decided to hit up touche together. And I do remember like, you know, they're, there's literally obviously all men and, you know, and I'm, and I'm also like an incredibly short person. So now, so now I'm, I'm not only the only, you know, essentially woman in the place, but I'm also like incredibly short and nobody can see me. My friend is like regular, like human height. He's 5'10". <laughs> so, you know, and, 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 you know, as well, when you're somebody who has gay friends, you kind of get used to them, you know, eventually like disappearing on you and stuff. So, you know, eventually I knew that he was going to go into the back room and do his thing. He's, he was a really, really big slut. So he went on to be a big slut and everything, but that was kind of my first official entry into 
you know, and also there was kind of a point where, because like I said, you know, when I was 16, 17, I had seen, you know, the leather pride, leather king contingent that I, I knew that that world was somewhere. I wasn't totally sure how to find it myself. And on top of that, you know, I, I, I also just didn't, wasn't really sure how somebody like me could even be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that, but that weekend, essentially, like our first IML together became more than apparent because, you know, when we were hanging out in the hotel and stuff, we get to see other like leather dykes and leather women and like just gender queer people. And, you know, it kind of just really opened up this whole world to the both of us of like, wow, like this is like, this is what we have to look forward to. Because trust me, like my friend, I thought he was a slut before, but as soon after that IML weekend, shit, like when it's an overdrive, like he was <laughs> like now every single weekend, like he all of a sudden knew like we're all like the big like backroom parties were, dark room parties were. And even if I couldn't necessarily go with him, like I was always maybe at another bar, like maybe across the street or kind of, I was basically kind of like always his wingman or just kind of checking up on him, making sure he was okay, making sure he didn't get like too fucked up or always had a ride home. You know, I was always his, I was, you know, I was always his backup. You know, I was, I was his wing dyke and, you know, I was, you know, I was his enforcer essentially where, you know, I made sure people didn't mess with him and stuff. So I, I always, I was, I was very much into that role and owned my role of that, like, you know, bull dyke that you just didn't want to fuck with. So, um, Wait, so how old but are you that, now? I turned 32 in a couple of weeks. So uh, you you said at the beginning that you've only kind of been in the leather scene for so many years, but really you've kind of been in it for a long time. Like kind of like peripherally, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I've always kind of been like aware of it, kind of always, you know, even since that like first IML, kind of always owned leather and kind of just have always... I and I guess it's because there's a really like for example when me and my wife talk like cuz my wife will also tell you like she's been involved in the community for 10 years because realistically she's been involved like for me personally even if I've always kind of known about it and even been kind of maybe involved in some play and stuff here or there I wouldn't necessarily say that I've been involved for 10 years. Realistically, I've kind of have only been involved for like five. Okay. Uh, and by involved, I mean when I kind of started trying to step up to take on like maybe leadership roles or become more involved in like community organizations or become involved in actually putting spaces together that all only really started maybe five years ago for me. So even if I was even if I was involved in spaces prior to that and aware of it and obviously even attending IML for so many years like yeah I was I was there uh but I I I guess to me I don't necessarily call that as involvement I was just there right. but I wouldn't necessarily say it was a quote unquote a part of the community because quite frankly I wasn't I wasn't necessarily doing anything but showing up not necessarily saying that because I understand there's just some people that show up and not necessarily saying they're not a quote unquote part of the community but to me just to me personally and we can get into this later but to me community is a verb so if I'm just to me personally like because I don't I can't say that I was doing blah 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 whatever you know 10 years ago 
I wouldn't necessarily say that I was involved because technically, according to the word involved, I mean, I, I wasn't. So I can say how I was involved even five years ago in regards to getting, you know, certain types of community nights started or becoming involved in certain groups or when my community service started, particularly within the community, like where I can actually describe those actionable things that I was doing. But that, like I said, that really didn't start till maybe five years ago. So you've been involved for five years, but I think you've you've experienced leather for longer than five. Experienced leather, definitely at least, you know, like a solid 10 years for sure. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I do want to know how, how it was different for you uh, because you, you came into leather, at least the experience of leather that is, you know, as a, a butch and dyke in your words. And now here you are a trans man with a leather title. What was that transition? How was the experience different for you being in a gay leather bar? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, where do I start? Should we have Shit. a part three? So, uh. <laughs> yeah, right. so I will say that for me personally, I, I think it's necessary. It's definitely necessary to say that because I've always been just, just very masculine and butch that I know I am generally accepted very differently in spaces compared to others and i only say that because i mean you know as 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 a butch lesbian and even now like the women i'm attracted to are are femmes and feminine women and in that regard like i remember you know even you know much younger going to a gay bar and wanting to talk to femmes and hit on femmes but quite frankly, you're not, you're not really sure if they're, you know, also into women or not. Maybe they're just a fag hag. Maybe they're just there with a gay friend. Maybe they're just there to hang out or, you know, maybe you, you, you don't, you don't know. And quite frankly, femmes and feminine people tend to essentially kind of almost get erased in that. And I, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, having always been a essentially like visibly quote unquote queer person has obviously come with its own struggle because it's not being visibly queer is not you know quote unquote privilege in and of itself because quite frankly i i I can say that while it may be nice to be able to walk into a bar and like oh yeah i own the space because people can just see that it's like oh yeah there's that big queer there my wife doesn't experience that but i can also say that i've been i've had my ass kicked literally multiple times because people can pick me out in a crowd like oh yeah there's a fucking queer hunt them the fuck down so in in that regard, there it's like a it's like a double edged sword where you can either choose to be visibly queer and essentially take on that mantle of being the person that people are going to be able to pick out in a crowd and essentially fuck with because that still very much happens, or are you essentially going to be invisible? There's literally almost no in between, and they essentially come with their own struggles and because obviously it sucks to be invisible because i could i can i can assure you my wife who is a boot black and has boot blacked multiple times in leather bars can you know sometimes still walk into a space and a ton of people will still act like they don't know her or see her even if she just worked on their boots and it's because they literally don't see her simply is because, that because she's, she's a woman just because she's a woman and because she's feminine mm-hmm 
And whereas somebody like me, like even if whether, you know, whatever people may think of me or see me or whether they're attracted to me or not, when people see me, they remember that they have seen me only because like you, you literally almost can't miss me because of, you know, when you see me, you're like, oh, yeah, look at that queer. So or look or, you know, even before like transition, it was like, oh, look at that bull dyke. So they, they people see that and you can't not see that even if you I mean, you don't even have to be in a leather bar or anything. You know, you could be walking around, you know, in the grocery store and think about it when you see, you know, when you see the butch dyke, you immediately like get excited because you're like, oh, my God, another gay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. And, and so and it's like when you when you visibly see that yourself as a as like a gay or queer person person like you you immediately get excited but it's because you can see it you probably don't even notice the fact that maybe a what you see as a you know cisgender person pass by you not realizing that they probably are queer themselves but you totally missed it and you didn't necessarily get it as, as excited simply because they're not as visible so it's very much so that very much plays out in our community as well of you know when people aren't necessarily as visible you know they don't get the same amount of excitement added to them and, and, and to what they do. So you're saying it really comes down to visibility, visibility is what you're saying. Oh yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this, cause I have talked to a couple of women recently in the leather community and this really, um, and maybe this is just, this is my naivety being, I think young in the leather community is um, they shared with me that their experience, um, a lot of times they don't feel supported in the in the leather community as women, even title holders, which I, for me, boggles my mind. Uh, but um, you know, I, I was it, it saddened me to the point where I had to um, kind of take a step back because I it brought me to tears a little bit, and I wonder, uh, you know, as a trans person, do you feel like people, trans people in the community are supported in leather or is that also a struggle? It's still very, very much a struggle. And I only say that because one, I will say that as a transgender, you know, man person and just, just with the trans community in general, it is definitely incredibly hard to be supported because the first and foremost thing that essentially props up our community in regards to spaces, in regards to bars, in regards to events, is first and foremost money. And obviously the people that have the most money are men. And therefore, men will be supporting events that first and foremost support men. And so you essentially will have like this trickle-down economic effect where you know, people will have these really big, grand, you know, elaborate events for men. And they'll be like, oh, you know, for all the money that we raised or whatever, we'll be, you know, just basically just trying to throw some money at organizations for women or for trans people or for people of color because, oh, yeah, the little people need money too. So <laughs> you, 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 but, and while I understand the sentiments, it it kind of really really sucks when you want to be able to do something or want to be able to create something and 
you are at the bottom, starting at the bottom and starting with essentially the bottom resources that basically whatever is left over from the men, whatever they are done using, whatever they are done, you know, promoting, whatever, whatever they are done with, it's now thrown for you to use. So do you feel like kind of uh, women and, and trans people kind of get the scraps is what you're saying? Oh, oh yeah, very mm-hmm. much so. And it's, and it's unfortunately incredibly unfor- unfortunate because just about almost any event that you go to, any sort of amount of staff that you have, you more than likely will see, regardless of who the event is for, that event is more than likely somehow supported or propped up by a woman or somebody transgender. Like, it's almost no question about it in my mind. And even when men may try to help prop something up for 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 women or trans folks, it, it's only now that I've noticed how men are trying to do a better job of being like, oh, hey, you know, basically, how do I actually help you build this from the ground up for you, not to necessarily just be appeasable to men, but like actually be appeasable to to your community and and and, and how you want this to look. So that was going to be my next question for you. And if you can go into it a little bit more, I'd love that is how can the cis men out there be more supportive of women and trans people in the leather community? Like, what are some concrete ways that we can really do that? Uh, well, some really good ways that I think is just basically anytime you put something together, you realize that obviously there's multiple portions of the community and probably actually some really, really good just current examples that I'm part of is that I'm actually a part of two separate jock auctions at the moment. One is put on by Cody Bearer Elkin, who's the current uh, American Leatherman, and the other one was put on by Boy Debney, who's here in Chicago. They're both putting on their own separate jock auctions, but both of them made it a count where, you know, they essentially, it's a jock auction, but they came to involve multiple different kinds of people in it. And they didn't just do that because they had to or because they or because you know they they felt obligated to they did that because they wanted to and because quite frankly to them it would not have felt right just putting on a jock auction with just men because quite frankly that's almost what you're used to and and especially when it comes to like really big mainstream events all you ever see are like probably the same you know cis white guys you know selling their jocks or whatever but it was something really incredible to me and and important to me that it's like you know in in working with these people you know how do i actually you know why are they first off asking me to be a part of it and yes i'm i'm a leather title holder but in some aspects i feel like either one of them probably would have asked me even if even if i wasn't a title holder and that means something to me and that's also part of why i even agreed to want to work with them is because you know, there, there was a part of me that thought, you know, even if I wasn't a title holder, I can genuinely see either one of these people asking me to be a part of it because that's just what they genuinely want. So essentially what you're saying is um, ask, ask, you know, us 
women or trans people because you genuinely want us to be a part of your event and you genuinely see that we can add value to it versus like typecasting us. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I do want to get down to some kind of dirty stuff with you because I know that you're a very sexual person. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you flag any uh, colors? Do I flag anything? So that's honestly always a really awkward thing for me because <laughs> like, so people, I only say that because people will obviously like put in their, their bios and stuff like, oh, this is what I flag, left and right, blah, blah, blah. And so me personally, I've never actually been a like physical like flagger, like having like a, you know, a hanky or something on mm -hmm. my back pocket or, you know, anything like that. I just, I just, I don't know. I do, I do stuff. Yes. Yeah, so I guess I, I flag left red, which is fisting. I'm a fisting top. I love, you know, and I've, it's funny because I've, I don't know, just because I, I have what I call starter pack hands or what are known as starter pack hands, which means I have, you know, fairly small hands. Oh, I see what and, you're saying. Yes, I have starter pack hands. So, and it's and it's funny because even if like on different profiles, like if you go on, uh, I think it's called Rieger, which is the fisting app now, or even other different kind of apps like Scruff or something, they'll be like, you know, if you have starter hands, then I want to know because uh, they, they want to try to get into fisting. But obviously, you don't want to start off with like a whole, you know, fucking mallet up your hole. You want to you want to start easy. You want to start with back hands. So that's what I have. <laughs> and and it's funny only because like I've been I've personally have just been fisting for such a long time, specifically for that reason, because quite frankly, if I was fingering a girl after a while, I, I essentially would just end up fisting her because my hand is so small. It's just it's essentially what's going to happen. So I've just was always very comfortable in doing something like that. And it was really interesting to me when I, you know, became more involved in the leather community that even something like that was considered kinky because I've literally been doing this since I was a teenager. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So it was, it was just really, really interesting. Well, so have me. you fisted men before as well? Yep. Wow. All right. Yeah. Fisting men. And it's, and it, it's funny because through my essentially extensive experience of fisting women and specifically fisting vaginas that it actually was really easy for me to learn how to fist men and, and particularly cis men with assholes and, and actually learning how to fist an ass. And, you know, it actually, cause, cause believe it or not, essentially the anatomy, at least if you kind of pay attention to what you're doing and what you're feeling is actually incredibly similar in some respects. And so it was really easy for me to kind of, put the knowledge that I already knew about working with vaginas into working with particularly a men's ass and realizing like how it is actually incredibly similar, but also, you know, obviously different in its own way. Cause it's obviously a completely separate hole. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I mean, honestly, once you kind of get the hang of it, there's, it's just, it doesn't really, doesn't really take all that much. <laughs> so we know that you're into fisting. Uh, what are some other fetishes that you're into? Um, hmm. Fetishes, I would say that I very much heavily fetishize 
uh, athletic wear. I very much fetishize just kind of like the entire spectrum of athleticism and such. So like athletic uniforms, locker rooms, very much kind of like into play wrestling and roughhousing, using fitness and workouts as like a way to like get sexually started really into just really into uniforms in general so i love leather uniforms rubber uniforms in in many ways i will kind of try everything once i used to kind of identify more as a sadist i'll be perfectly honest in many ways i don't necessarily care for impact play as much as i used to um I, but i still very much enjoy kind of like basically rough body play, such as the rough housing and wrestling that I mentioned before. Uh, but I used to be a lot more kind of like into punching, kicking kind of things. And to be perfectly honest, it just doesn't really catch catch my interest anymore. I will say that in many aspects, I kind of will try anything once, except I'm, I'm absolutely not a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I don't care to personally experience pain myself. I do flag Hunter Green for either daddy or boy side. Uh, that's probably another big one. So, so the top two flags I have for sure are red and green. And I guess just kind of like orange to just kind of be ready for, for anything that may come my way. Yeah, I never. It's so funny because, like, even though people flag orange, I never really know what that means. Like, I think maybe it's so non-specific that I'm always like, "What do I do?" Like, what? what, what that's honestly. <laughs> that's honestly. That's that's kind of the point of it, though. Is anytime right. I see it now, and and obviously we've had to remind people that orange doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, just open or ready for somebody to just come up and grab you or whatever. It means open to the conversation open to the negotiation for for what may be open because honestly i know plenty of people that flag orange just because it's like if they actually try to like in some way communicate what they flag they'd look a hot mess you know it's like you maybe you're just into so much or just into you know or have tried so many things or just have so many things on the table it's like you know what orange we're going to start with that and let's just kind of go, let's just, you know, just, just, you know, what, let's have a conversation and we'll say, you know, just tell me what's on your mind. And like, there's a 99% chance I will probably be into it. <laughs> you, so funny. you know, it's, it reminds me of, I was at, um, where was I? Fault line. Um, I was at fault line earlier this year and, you know, before COVID and everything. And one guy came and he had like four colors in his pocket. <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah. okay, like which one do I want to pick? <laughs> yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. I personally just never cared for like physically flagging with a hanging because that's that's my thing. I don't want to look like a hot mess. So right, right. <laughs> I, I just like I you know, if and and I mean I literally almost never ever have a flag. If I do, it might be a red hanky uh because that's i mean quite frankly for me especially for me personally like as a trans person it's like if, especially if somebody from wants to talk me i i don't actually personally care to get fisted or at least i'm not at the point where i feel comfortable with that but if somebody wants me to top them that's essentially like that's that's even me personally what i not only feel comfortable with but it's also really easy for me to do because i mean i don't have a penis but i it, 
it's it doesn't take anything but a little bit of lube for me to you know stick my fist in you right exactly <laughs> i think the reason why i personally like flagging is because i'm an exhibitionist and to me in some ways that's like a sense of exhibitionism like putting it all out there be like hey like yeah i like pissing or like hey like, oh yeah yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah it's like hey yeah i'm a freak come yeah. say hi <laughs> yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it <laughs> Um, so I wonder if, and you don't have to, you know, talk about this if you don't want, but, um, I, I, I like to ask, you know, my guests this on the show is what is one of your hottest fantasies that you've either played out before or that you haven't played out yet that you want to? Something that I'm open to, but I'll be perfectly honest that it, I, I feel like I'm open to it only because I, I like need to get over my fear of it is I I am kind of curious about piss play. However, I, can I will I'm I will <laughs> say I will say that like right off the bat it grosses me the fuck out. Really? Right off the bat. Yes. Know, but I feel really like there's a part of me that's interested in it just to be like okay, maybe if I just like let it happen that i'll get into it now but i i know that it will it will take so because there's like this part of me like maybe if i just like maybe if there's just like this whole group around me and everybody's just like pissing on me all the same time and i have to like get over it <laughs> but at the same time it's like i don't like there's only one way that that can or i guess one of two ways that it can go either i'll be really really fucking into it or i would just be like absolutely not this is never the fuck happening again because i'll be perfectly honest there have been times where like so me and my wife actually shower a lot together and there's been times where she will piss in the shower not on me but just like pee in the shower i'm like oh my god what are you doing that's oh you're one gross. of those people yes and <laughs> i'm like and i'll just i will just i will freak out i will freak out and they're that like water's running and stuff it's like in in, in reality it should not be a big deal like water is right, running right. The, you know the pee is going down the drain it's just pee but i have like legitimately freaked out like if i feel like warmth around my feet and just i'm just like no like you cannot do that or i will tell her like okay before you get into the shower like to the you, need to pee. you need to pee do not pee in the but shower it's not so <laughs> i'm telling you so 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 i would like to believe that maybe one day if i just have like an entire group of people around me just pee on me that maybe i can like just be like i will get over the fear <laughs> But or or there could be also part of me that'd be like I'm literally having the absolute worst of time of my but life. You know right what? Now. I love <laughs> your I love your openness to experience it first. And even though you might be grossed out, there are several um, kinks and fetishes that I was like, oh my god, never in a million years. And then I tried it, and I was like, no, still don't like it. And then I tried it again. I always say, try something once. If you don't like it, try it twice. <laughs> just to be sure just to be sure there was one one fetish that i explored nine times and around the ninth oh or tenth God. time i was like i think i like this and sometimes <laughs> you have to just wrap your head around it but uh because i am a uh you know self-proclaimed yellow hanky boy i will give you my insight on, on this and okay I, um, appreciate it. I think everybody kind of has their own reasons why they're into piss for me it's because of the fact that it comes from like a man's dick and like you can only experience a cum shot for like three, four, 
five, maybe six good shots of cum. Like feel the warmth of that cum like shooting on your face or like shooting okay. in your hole. But mm-hmm. piss is like this continuous warm stream that's coming from their body. Mm-hmm. And it's just like another bodily fluid. So like the fact that I'm just getting like sprayed down with it is sort of like an extension of like a cum shot, I guess you could say. But it's also sterile. And, you know, unless they're doing drugs or something, it's pretty safe to drink if you wanted to drink it so yeah that's that's the that's what's thrilling for me you know yeah i think i and uh here in chicago there's a group they're called like the water buddies that is basically like the piss group and they will actually hold host parties in the back room of touche and i know i know a couple people that go to them attend them and you know, it sounds really cool that they're like, oh, yeah, after a while, like, you know, everybody's just like pissing on each other and just like there's piss everywhere. And, you know, it's like a, basically just like multiple like water fountains going on of piss everywhere. And part <laughs> of me is like, wow, that sounds really, really cool. But then I I know that there's like this other part of me that's like that that it's like I don't know how I would react if I were actually in the middle of that like would I just would I would essentially like unfortunately act like I do with my wife in the shower I'm like oh god no or like <laughs> would I be into it like I, but it but it all really I feel like it really kind of depends on environment like maybe I don't want to feel it in the shower because I'm trying to get clean and I also I mean just me personally I'm I really really like showers I just you know showers are are my safe space so maybe I don't just want to feel that while I'm in the shower but maybe I could feel it somewhere else <laughs> oh, that's interesting yeah I guess a lot of it has to do with the mental headspace that you're into right exactly it's like you know that mental headspace will obviously change or, or kill everything so <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about your experience your journey, I guess you could say, to your leather title. What made you decide to run in the first place? What was your platform and has that changed or evolved over time? So that's a really good fucking question. So my title daddy, who's Saber Onyx, so the year that he won, one of my, I guess now one of, obviously, my title brother is a former Mr. Chicago Leather Luis who lives in Indianapolis now. Uh, him and I have always been, well, him and I, you know, basically for the last few years have been, you know, good friends. He's been somebody that I know that I can that I can look to for, you know, hard conversations and such. And he's, he's just such a sweet and incredible person. And him and I were sitting at the bar over... The weekend and in many ways Luis was essentially I can't remember if he was the first person or the second person that I came out to and said like I I'm pretty sure I want to transition and we were sitting there at the bar we were having you know some drinks and I told him that you know I I want to start testosterone and so Mr. Chicago Leather within our city is is basically just, just kind of a big deal. It's obviously one of the few leather contests we even have. I mean, technically now we only have two. We used to have more. But now, you know, I mean, Mr. Chicago Leather, there's, there's so much that kind of in a way revolves around it. You know, it's not like where you are, where there's so many 
leather contests and just about almost every bar, you know, has their leather contest or whatever. Here in Chicago, it's not like that, surprisingly. It used to be, you know, more bars did have, you know, their, you know, we had the Mr. Cell Block or, you know, Mr. You know, there, there's definitely used to be a few people that we used to feed into IML. Uh, but it's just not like that anymore. You know, now really the premier, the two of them that are held in Chicago are Mr. Chicago Leather and Mr. Leather 6410. But even then, Mr. Leather 6410 can technically is technically a, a Midwestern title. So anyone within like different states can, can compete for Mr. Leather 6410. So realistically, Mr. Chicago Leather most times is not only the only Chicago representative for IML, but also tip, sometimes the only Illinois representative for IML. Uh, so it's a pretty big deal. And on top of that, the lineage of Mr. Chicago Leather, I mean, basically almost every single one of those guys is just like, in in some ways, put on their own pedestal. Like they all just about almost all of them, you know, go on to do really incredible things or do really well or just, you know, incredibly liked or just incredible productive members of our community. And I personally feel very fortunate that whether it was growing up essentially in a way and 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 coming into this community, I'm still relatively young. And in many ways, I feel comfortable essentially growing into manhood because that's kind of what I have to look up to. And I still, in many ways, only know how to navigate the outside world around me as, you know, a transgender person simply because of the connections that I have in leather and in seeing the people that I that I have in leather. And particularly with the cis men that I have interactions with and that I have within my own community, especially here in Chicago, I essentially felt comfortable thinking like, oh yeah, I, I can do this because of the, the men that set the foundation for what we have here. And so Mr. Chicago Leather, I'm not going to lie, I, I actually was kind of in a way always anti-title. And what I mean by that is I didn't really actually think that while I understand how the leather community came to be about due to titles, and yes, I, you know, I mean, I come from the city of IML. I know what IML did. I, you know, I have to go through and hear the history every fucking year of, you know, how we, you know, had the first leather contest in the world and what Chuck Renslow did and everything, you know, the guy, you know, fucking walked on water here still. And, so, you know, the guy's, you know, has been dead for a couple of years, you know, for all, everybody acts like he still just like straight up walks on water because in many ways he did. And, you know, just to have that legacy here is, is just like an incredibly big part of the identity and personality of our community as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I was very much of the mind at one point that, you know, sooner or later, our community will evolve out of titles. And in some ways, I kind of see that where I still kind of see that where, you know, people are wanting to kind of do more than just revolve around a title. Um, but at the same time, 
I've kind of have come to a new understanding of what titles can be simply because it's the person that makes the title. And for me personally, while people like to say like, you know, the best person wins or what have you, and in many aspects and in many respects, I think anybody should be allowed to hold a title or essentially, or I I really think that anybody should be able to quote unquote win a title or represent a title because if a person has the right heart in mind and you know the the right idea in mind and basically just wants to just wants to do good things or or even if they just want to have fun i mean why not you know and and i really do think you know i've seen people sometimes every once in a while make a comment like oh yeah there's so many titles now it's basically like a participation trophy and for me personally i think what what's wrong with it being a participation trophy. I mean, because we we make this up. You know what I mean? Like this is literally all made up. We all make this up. We literally make this up in our heads just to be able to get off in a way. And so I I don't see an issue with a leather title essentially being a participation trophy because quite frankly, why like why not? Like if you are essentially given this title for one year to just be able to represent what you want to represent and do what you want to do. I don't see any issue with anybody with the right heart and right mind being given the opportunity to do that. I honestly cannot tell you what possessed me to want to run for a title because I promise you, I I could easily show you messages that probably up to two weeks prior, I was telling people, I'm not going to do it. I I had kind of been planning on it, and I even had friends that came in from across the border to even see me compete and stuff. And I I literally could show you the messages like two weeks prior telling them, I'm so sorry, I'm wasting your time because I'm not going to do it. And it literally was maybe just a few days prior to the application being due where I was just like, shit, I'm really going to fucking do this. And I promise you, I was sitting in my car outside Touche. It had to be turned in by 10 p.m. And I was sitting in my car and I literally turned it in like at 9 p.m. Because I'm like, I, I, I can't do this or I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm holding my application in my hand and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing right now? Like, why, like, why do I want to do this? And I, and I honestly cannot tell you. I think the only thing that I can tell you is that because of what Mr. Chicago Leather means to the city, I, I just think to myself, like, as I'm kind of going through this period of, like, if I'm going to be a man, like, what, what kind of man do I want to be? Or quite frankly, because of what I've been involved in and how my life has been, a grand majority of the men that have held Mr. Chicago Leather are the men that I want to become. So me running for Mr. Chicago Leather was just kind of the first step of me, in a way, owning my personal manhood and, and thinking to myself, I, 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 I have no choice now but to grow into a good man because this is the legacy now that I'm a part of. So it, it seems like you started off a little bit pessimistic, but then realized that this was really important to your own personal journey. 
Oh yeah, very much so. Very, it's it's kind of definitely, I'd say, a little different, probably from some of my other friends who I know have kind of been transitioning longer. And once they get to a more comfortable place of being a transgender man, being a trans man, you know, they get to they're now like, oh yeah, I can I can do this. I'll be perfectly honest. In many ways, I'm I'm still not at anywhere near that point. But there was something something telling me that this title would help me get there, or at least push me into there, which it has in many ways, because now having a leather title, I mean, I thought I was very cut and dry before, but now it's like, I, I have to really be ready to back up what I say. And I thought I had an idea of what I, of what that was before. And in some aspects I did, but now I, I definitely am like, if I, if I say it, I mean it goes. And that's in regards to, it doesn't, you know, whether it's comments online or right now with you in this interview, like if, you know, what I'm saying to hearing you right now, then that's, it has to that's be intentional. I, yeah. Every, mm-hmm. everything has to be intentional. And that's very much an important part of essentially my early journey of transitioning of, of understanding that intentionality a, a bit better. Awesome. So it really seems like the the title has sort of catapulted you in, into discovering yourself on a deeper level. And now that you have the title, what is your platform? What are your goals with it in the next year or, or two years, I guess? So I remember actually during my interview, I was asked Due to other organizations that I've been a part of and due to other work that I've done, my judge goes, oh, you know, you do these things, you know, with this international organization and throughout the region or whatever. But as Mr. Chicago Leather, she said, what can you do here at home? Like, what would you focus on here at home? And I said that funny enough, one thing that has basically wanting me to even run for Mr. Chicago Leather is because I want to use this as a time to focus at home. And there's two different ways that I'm doing that. One is we have a healthcare system here that's in Chicago, centralized in Chicago, called Howard Brown. And Howard Brown basically is the LGBT-focused healthcare system where any anybody can use their healthcare services, whether it's primary care physician, whether it's HIV services, STI services. They they actually have like a dental clinic now. They've really expanded to just have uh, all different kinds of healthcare clinic all throughout the city. And uh, one of the things that they have decided is that they run a number of initiatives. And one of the initiatives that they started just last year is known as the Four Corners Network. Four Corners Network is comprised of four different, basically, healthcare systems or centers. So we have Howard Brown here in Chicago. We have the LGBT Center in LA. We have, I believe it's called the Legacy Center in Houston, and then Whitman Walker in DC. So Four Corners. And our purpose essentially is to gather data in regards to the, specifically to the care that is being received by transgender patients through all these different centers. So it's a really huge undertaking to figure out 
are transgender patients receiving the care that they should be receiving in their respectable sites and how can we improve? So it works as kind of one part accountability council, one part research, one part, you know, data mining, just, you know, it, it, it kind of has serves as a lot of functions. And I personally serve as the community member of the Howard Brown team. And I've been working with them, I guess it's now been at least a year and a half where we have been collecting data, where we are receiving and applying for grants to continue to conduct more research within transgender patients. You know, how do you feel that you are receiving your care at Howard Brown and how can we improve, improve upon it? And this is for you know, anybody that identifies as transgender or gender nonconforming within Howard Brown and receives whatever kind of services from Howard Brown, whether big or small. And the second initiative that I took on after I won my title is that there's a really incredible organization here in Chicago called Brave Space Alliance. And I've, I've known about Brave Space Alliance for some time now, basically probably since their inception, you know, donated money on my own. And I already knew that it's like, if I win Mr. Chicago Leather, I want to hold fundraisers and, and do whatever I can to raise money specifically for Brave Space Alliance because they are the first black and trans led organization within the city of Chicago and they specifically are located on the south side of the city and try to centralize their resources throughout the south and west sides, which are our most neglected parts of the city and are historically the most neglected parts of our city. So much of our resources and money essentially goes towards one side of the city, and you literally will have probably almost close to like 60% of the city that's just like completely neglected and void of resources. So Brave Space Alliance, they just within a very, very short amount of time hit the ground running to help transgender people and people of color within some of our most neglected areas of the city. And even now, uh, in regards to the movement for Black lives within the city, Brave Space Alliance has been one of the organizations that has straight up taken on like a really, really huge leadership role in pushing for police abolition, pushing for true, like concrete organization of the movement here within Chicago. Well, it sounds like you're going to be pretty busy <laughs> with your title this year. You know, it's funny because, you know, we have this whole, oh, I don't know, like pandemic thing going on. But it, but I mean, when it comes to working with marginalized communities, like, there's probably plenty of people that are like, oh, pandemic, like I, you know, get to take a break from life or whatever. But I mean, what came with the pandemic was people became unemployed, people lost health care, where people maybe were already struggling to maintain a job or maintain health care. And now we have a pandemic happen and people lost all different kinds of resources or people just started struggling. So for anybody that is involved with organizations that handle mutual aid funds, that handle, you know, charity, that, you know, that handle, you know, giving money to other people or handle trying to get resources to people, the work ramped up and exponentially. And it just became that much harder to actually find 
resources to to provide to people that are that essentially were already struggling. So it it I mean you know there's maybe some people that feel like oh yeah you know COVID nineteen not a big deal I get to maybe work from home or even if I'm unemployed just kind of you know sit around at home wait for it to go by but there's a whole amount of people within our community where that wasn't the case at all. If anything, struggling now became like just day to fucking day, like not sure if you're going to live or die. And that's, and that's, that's what it's always been about and about now. It's like, how do we truly fucking help these people? And now we have a whole, you know, kind of on the brink of, of revolution and trying to do something incredibly extraordinary throughout the country in regards to defunding and, and, you know, hopefully moving to a point of abolishing police and and police departments. And now we're essentially going to have the people that, you know, are just so used to having such, you know, working with such little resources as possible, pushing an entire movement forward again with as little resources as possible. Right. Right. Yeah, it, 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 2020 has certainly been a year um, for all of us, and uh, I, I think it's 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 pushed a lot of people to the edge. And I, I told my partner the other day because you know we were having um, the 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 protests and and riots and such, and um, you know the pandemic is out there. And I'm like, gosh, you know we're in Los Angeles. I'm like, we just need one more. Th- like, if God forbid there be an earthquake. You know, here. <laughs> like hey, man, don't don't jinx yourself. I know. Not jinx yourself. <laughs> oh, but um, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show and and everything that you're doing to support the community, and 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 the movement and and everything going on right now. Um, how can we, we we reach out to you if we if we wanted to? I'm on Facebook as Butch Romero. So that's probably actually the easiest way to hit me up, hit me up on Messenger. Um, I'm really actually probably a little too accessible by Messenger. I'm also on Twitter as Blue Collar Cub, and that's actually kind of one of my main um, funding efforts is uh, I kind of sort of sell nudes and videos to people that donate to organizations. So if you donate, (laughs) if you donate, if you donate to Brave Space Alliance or anything else essentially related to the movement for Black Lives, hit me up on Twitter. I would be more than happy (laughs) to provide a personal picture or video for you. So there. Wow. Okay. Well, there we go. Uh, But Romero, we'll put links in the description below. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, before we go, do you have any um, last statements you'd like to make to the community? I really love you guys, and I really miss you, and I can't wait to crew again with you guys. Hopefully, very very soon. And just keep just keep just keep loving each other. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Butch, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Yep. Thanks so much. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to have Butch here on the show, especially to help provide a little insight with his perspective coming into the leather scene in his own way. Part of my mission with this podcast has been to create sort of a bridge between the generations of leather, and as important as it is for us to learn from the previous generations, I think it is equally important for the older generation to hear more about how people are experiencing leather for the first time currently today. 
Before we go, I wanted to remind all of you that in the midst of this pandemic, even though our bars and restaurants are beginning to open up, please be safe. The Levitt community has seen many losses in the last several months, and we want to see all of you healthy and safe when all of this is through. Don't forget, if you need help with any supplies or assistance during this time, you can reach out to the Bullet Bar Pantry, the LELC Cares, and the LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. I will have links in the description below. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.